Um, we, uh, Brenda came back about the 10th of August, and I went on my way. I, we, did a, we were together for a, a wedding in Florida. Um, don't go to Florida in August. That's all I'm going to say about that. Wedding was fun. Disney World was fun. Um, and then I went up with my mom to where our relatives, where our family is from in Ohio, spent a, a week or so there, and then did some traveling around. I'm going to talk to you a bit about the traveling around part of it in just a bit. You see that giant building behind me? That is a building and a boat. On this side, it's entirely a boat. And you can see the little, the extra little brown thing. Let me get this thing out of here. Yeah, there we go. See those? Those are not made of wood. Those are actually stuccoed, uh, stuccoed pillars that hold up, help hold it up so that it doesn't fall over because it is a boat. It isn't meant to be sitting on the ground. But... Um, I went to the Creation Museum in Kentucky, and then the Ark in Kentucky, then the Museum of the Bible, then a place called, uh, by the way, Mike, you win, um, and a place called um, Sight and Sound, all of which were really cool, really fun places to go. I enjoy museums. I enjoy museums by myself because I can spend the entire day there. Um, Other people get tired of how long I can stay at a museum, and so I did get to go through. I spent a day at the Creation Museum, a day at the Ark. Um, didn't get as much time as I wanted in the, uh, the Museum of the Bible. I won't tell you why for now. And, uh, and so it was, it was a great, great time, a good time, a blessing to me. And I was actually hoping to look at some things that we might do as a church. Uh, we, we've taken trips overseas. We've taken uh, trips for the Reformation, trips for, to Israel and stuff. And I was looking for something we might be able to do that would be enhancing spiritually, but stay in the United States. And so we, you, you might hear about this in the future. But uh, that's kind of part of what I was doing there. And then just getting a lot of time to spend with my family and with my mom and uh, get reconnected with the, the place where I was born and the roots of my family and my relatives. So I, I've enjoyed the time and I've enjoyed being back. Um, I loved being there and I love you all very much. You are not the same on TV. You are not the same. Um, they say TV adds 20 pounds, but I think it takes away 50% of the experience. So. It's good to be home live with you. And I want to take you in that case to Genesis chapter 6, verse 19. When God is describing what should be done here, that building is 500 feet long, that boat. It's 60 feet high. I've been telling folks, if you took a football stadium, an NFL football stadium, and you took it from the round and you stretched it out like this, that's about how big that thing is. When you stand next to it, your humanity becomes very clear to you. It's massive. Um, You get to go in. It's several floors inside. You get to explore the floors and the way they think that things were done and how how the ark could have carried two of every kind, how the ark could have been built in the time frame in which it was built. It's really, really well done, and I hope that if we do get to go, you'll try to come. this is, uh, this is modeled after a Greek ship built about 600 B.C., 400, 400 to 600 B.C. Um, that was 320 feet long. And they used similar technology to build this. I'm just not saying all of that because I'm filled with information and I really enjoyed myself. It has nothing to do with anything else except for this one piece. One piece. It only has one door. It's a giant boat. It's a giant ark. I mean, the, the capacity inside is amazing. But it only has one door. It's a big door. You can't really tell there. But the door is huge. The door is probably, I don't know, 
18 feet tall. It's probably 25, 30 feet wide. It's a big, big door, but it only has one entrance, one door. And I know sometimes we look at, uh, at the choice God allows us, and we say, why are the choices so narrow? Why is it that we only get this one opportunity, this one way to have this happen? Well, if you think about this particular thing as an example, there was going to be a flood that came across the earth. The only way to survive the flood was to be inside a boat that could survive the flood. And God spent about a century preparing for and telling people about the flood that was coming and the way to survive. But the only way they could survive was to go through that one door. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today because the Bible says a lot about doors. It actually has quite a bit to say about doors and the singularity of doors. It's like uh, everything that God invites us into seems to have only one door, only one way in. Would you join me for a word of prayer as we get started? Lord, as we open your word today, I pray that you would clearly show us yourself. That you would open our hearts to understand you. Our minds to, to discover what you are saying to us specifically. Lord, I pray for the next few minutes that as we think of you and we think of your word, we won't think about someone else that it should apply to or who we should get to watch this sermon, but that we would see where it applies in our lives. We're grateful to be here with you this morning and to have your spirit in, our, in leadership. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to just read a little quick bit from Genesis chapter 6. This is that place in the Bible where the story of Noah is. This is the place where the explanation of how we got through the flood, how the human race made it past that moment, and really explains a lot about geologic columns and fossils and a whole bunch of other things which we don't have time today to talk about. But I'm going to pick it up at verse 13. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. If you uh, use the, the typical royal cubit, that would make this thing about 500 feet long. Its width will be 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits, and you shall make a window for the ark. You shall finish it to a cubit from above and set a door in the ark in its side. And you shall make it with a lower, second, and third deck. I myself will bring a flood upon the earth. As we, uh, as we open the scriptures... I want you to recognize that it was, there was equal access to the door. There was only one door, but there was equal access to it. It's even got a ramp. If you look outside this ark, it's got a ramp. It was ADA compliant thousands of years ago. Equal access to the door. One door, but there was equal access. Thousands of animals went through this door. There was equal access. It's something that, that we all hope for. We hope to have equal access to God's side, equal access to the forgiveness of God, equal access to the covering of His grace and the newness of His mercy every day. God says, a horrible thing's about to happen on the earth and I will, I will give you a way out. There will be an opportunity, but there will only be one door. You'll all have access to it. 
But there would only be one door. And Noah built the ark. He, he, he spent years and years and years overcoming the obstacles of the limitations of his time to build this big boat. Much bigger than he would need for his family. A much smaller boat would have worked for him. But this was not an intervention for his family. This was an intervention for the globe, for all the people on the globe. No matter the fact that evil was in their hearts continually and violence reigned on the planet, they said, God said, no, we want to give these people a way off. We want to give these people a way of rescue because I don't want this to be the end of it all. As our friend Greg Webster used to say, it goes down to eight heartbeats at this point, apparently. Because nobody else wanted to go on the ark. It's interesting to me that choice is left intact every time God challenges us to make a change. Did you catch that? Choice is left intact. Choice remains intact no matter what the change is. You can always say no. Think about it in a simple way. So you've gained about 40 and you'd like to see them go away. You have a choice to make, right? And that choice gets, gets repeated regularly, but there's really only one way to make that 40 go away. Less has to go in here for that to happen, right? I've tried going to the gym every day and running it off. doesn't work. I re- worked for about two years on going to the gym every day, well, five days a week, doing my three or four miles on the treadmill, doing my lifting, and I stayed right at my even 220 that I'm always at. It was only when I actually stopped eating the same way that I had been eating that I started to decline. This is news to myself that I don't really need, but I'm still there. I'm back to that place again. Because you know what I started doing? I started eating the way I normally ate and went back up to that nice level 220 where my body likes to stay. I know you, you all don't, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, ladies especially, divulge your weight, but it's not a big deal to guys mostly. We're fat. We've looked in the mirror. We know. But what I want you to understand is the choice was still mine. I wanted it to go away. I knew what the options were, and I had to make the choice. And the problem was I had to make the choice over and over again. I had to keep on making the choice day in and day out. That's the way it is with our lives. God leaves choice intact for mankind. Jesus really died so that we had a choice. Before Christ died, there was no choice. So choice remains intact. To go through the door or not go through the door is always ours. Always ours to decide. There's a lot of hope, but there's no coercion. No one is forced to go through the door. No one throws you or shoves you or pushes you through the door. If my son had died for you all, I've told you before, I'd, you would, no, one would, no one would not go to heaven. You would all get, if my son died, you're all in, like it or not. And I would probably change all your hearts so you would be good and happy with it too. Because in my humanness, that's what I want. I want everybody to be saved and everybody to be happy with it. And, and if I had all power, that might be the way it happened. And you wouldn't even know. You would suddenly just be happy with it. But God's not like that. He leaves the power of choice intact without coercing us. This giant boat gets built. 
this giant boat gets built, but it doesn't start sprinkling a little bit every few days. Hey, you guys, this is what's going to happen. He doesn't manipulate them. He doesn't ride across the sky in the clouds. There will be a giant flood soon and you're all going to die if you don't get on the ark. doesn't do it. He could have rearranged the sky in any way he wanted to make it clear, to coerce people to make the decision. He could still do it. But the, the amazing thing about our God is with all power and all authority, He doesn't. He doesn't coerce. He simply warns. He says, there's this thing happening. Here's your opportunity. Go through that door. Thing will be better. In John 3.19, Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, says these words. This is the condemnation. condemnation. The condemnation of what? The condemnation of man. This is the condemnation. This is the judgment. This is what condemns man. This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. And man chose darkness instead of light. Who made the choice? You see, this is, we get all hung up on the fact that God might judge us. Why is God going to judge me? He's not. He's saying, here's the door. Here's the way to get out. Here's the exit. Here's how you get away from all of this. Here you go. And people said, I want it. Straight, plain, simple. The final things that happen, it's interesting with the way this is phrased in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 14. It says the judgment of God came. It's an interesting phrase. Because you can apply that phrase in both directions. God's judging, or God's being judged. All along, he has been accused He's been accused of manipulation, though he refuses to do it. He's been accused of being being mean and and, and non-trustworthy. And yet he's constantly tried to prove his trustworthiness. The capstone of that is obviously Jesus. Crazy. Guy built a boat. He did it for a hundred years. A hundred years. Do you remember watching a building project? Tim and I walked through this building two, three times every day as it went up. We could tell you incrementally from day to day what was being done because we were just constantly fascinated by the building and its development. Can you imagine? This crazy guy builds a boat on top of a hill. And he's after, he's after it and he's getting it done. And, you know, it starts pretty small. You can't tell for a long, long time. He's just chopping down a whole bunch of trees. And he's milling trees and prepping trees and cutting trees and making tools and fixing tools. For a long time, it's like he's building a lumber yard. And slowly the assembly begins. A keel is laid, a second keel, a third keel. The boat begins to take shape. The bottom starts to come up. The sides start to come up. He starts to lay interior stuff that you can't really see from outside. But you can see this thing taking shape. He's building a boat. He's building a massive boat. 500 feet long. I took a picture of this thing from about a half a mile away. I was amazed at how clearly you could see it half a mile away. If I could have gotten further away without a bunch of trees getting away, I would have wanted to go back a mile and see how how far it could be seen in the distance. This was no hidden thing God was doing in a corner. It was a big, plain advertisement. Look, bad stuff is coming. 
Let me help you avoid it. Light came into the world. A man chose darkness instead of light. It wasn't God forcing people into the dark. It was people saying, I choose that. Even though the threat of total destruction was there. He's telling them a global flood is coming, guys. This crazy old guy with his hammer and his hatchet is getting up every day telling people, look, I know this seems crazy, but God told me to build this so that you could get off the planet alive. This is a big, bad, destructive thing is coming. Please get in the boat. Please come with us. When God calls, will you answer with me? It's, it's no, it's, it's like he's the worst evangelist in the history of mankind. Preaches for a century. He gets his kids and his wife to be baptized. Or, as God described, the hearts of mankind were continually evil at that moment. Violence and destruction were what was reigning. Only eight people chose to be saved. But there was a door. You know? There was a door. The Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household. Eventually that door is standing open and the animals have come in and everybody watches the spectacle. Would you imagine... A thousand animal zoo marching past you and you kind of going, oh, that's so interesting. They're all going into the giant boat up on the hill. How interesting is that? And not at least thinking, hmm, maybe there's something too crazy, Joan, or crazy Noah. The animals go marching in and I want you to catch the word from God. God says, come. You know, when I tell you to come, that usually means I'm there already, right? Come with me. Come, come. That means I'm going along. He's inviting Noah into the experience that only he can control. Inviting Noah and his family to come with him through the destruction that's ahead. Thousands of animals went through the door. Only eight humans. You look back on it and you think, how did that happen? There are a billion Christians on this crazy little planet now. Maybe when we finally saw the picture of Jesus, maybe it struck us differently than a bunch of animals watching the zoo. It would have been spectacular. But it was still just the zoo. And man was choosing evil over good. They'd been practiced at it for generations. They had decided what was true for them. What was their truth? What was their thing? They believed in science. They believed in themselves. They believed in the man who stood next to them and looked them in the mirror. They believed in their own mind. And crazy Noah up on the hill building a giant boat 
for a hundred years? What a night. Spending every dime he has and every one he can gather to build that thing? How ridiculous. Noah's on the news from night to night. The, the boat's still going. Year number 735 or 75. Seven, no, year number 75 and he's still at it. There's a lottery on whether he died before he got it finished. People came out from day to day and made fun of him after a while. People marched around it and laughed. Said, crazy old Noah. The animals came on the invitation of God. Noah didn't choose the animals. We have this picture of Noah rounding up things and sticking them on the ark. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God just brought the animals. God picked the animals. Put them in the ark. Noah didn't choose the animals. He didn't choose the people either. He didn't say, only my family, the rest of you can all just drown. I don't care. The door remained open as long as somebody was willing to come in. When everybody who was willing came in, because the flood was real and it was coming, the door had to be closed or they too would be lost. This is not an act of unkindness or meanness or something from God. He simply has decided to save all who would be saved. God didn't even choose the eight. They chose themselves. In John chapter 14, we have Jesus speaking. And I don't know if you remember the context. I've, I've shared it with you a little bit, a few times. It's the Last Supper. Jesus has gathered with his disciples. He's, uh, he sat around the table and had the meal. Everything that you know of, the washing of the feet, the sharing of the emblems, Judas going out, Jesus telling him, go hurry, what you have to do, do it. But he doesn't end the conversation there. He speaks to his disciples. This is where that famous moment when he says to Peter, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me three times. And then he says, let let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am... There you may be also. Where I go, you know. The way you know. Thomas raised his hand. Yes, Thomas? Lord, we don't know. We don't know where you're going or how then can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know the way because you know Jesus. 
I'm the only way. Salvation is going to happen through me. I'm it. I'm the door. I'm the option. When you talk to the Pharisees just a little while in this same, same context, he says to the Pharisees, I am the door to the sheep's fold. I'm it. I lay my body in the gateway of the fold to protect them from the wolves who might come through, to protect them from robbers who might jump over the wall or try to get in. I am the way. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the one who puts myself in place to keep them safe. I am the way. I am the truth. We're fond of saying that's not my truth. We're fond of saying, that's your truth. But Jesus says, no. You will measure truth by me. I am the truth. And I am the only access point to eternal life. There are lots of rooms. There's one door. In my father's In my father's house, there are many rooms. Some translators say many mansions. But there's only one door. I'm the door. John 14, verse 16. No one comes to the father except through me. No one. He repeats it again. Last book of the Bible, he's speaking to John. John is uh, the gospel writer, the, the, the guy who writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John the Revelator. It's all the same guy. He's at the end of his life. He's out on the island of Patmos. It's, it's long since the day that most of the other disciples have already been martyred. He's like one of the last people standing who still knows Jesus. And he's spoken to by Jesus while he's out there on that rock. And people thought he was nuts. <laughs> and in John's story of Reve- in Revelation, he says, Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut. See, when I was on this ark, and I saw this, this door, and I thought, wow, that's kind of how it always is. There's a huge opportunity, but only one door. Safety, eternity, hope all passes through the one door. Salvation, the covering of His grace, the newness of His mercy every day, it all goes through the one door, and that one door is Christ. Everything prior to Jesus pointed toward Jesus. Everything after Jesus points back to Jesus. And I suppose this is something you know. I suppose this is something that's not new. But a hundred years of ark building didn't swing the audience. A hundred years of ark building didn't even make the evening news after a while. Crazy Noah, still on his ark. Day number 345 of year number 85. Went by today and he was still pounding nails. Crazy old Noah. Accompanied by a picture as they signed off each night. The worst picture of Noah they could find when he looked kind of crazy. Yeah, kind of wild. 
kind of a fierce look in his eyes. Today we see that our state's on fire. Russia's on fire. Canada's on fire. Places in Australia are on fire. Places around the world, lots of fire. Back east, they're not worried about fire. They're worried about flood. In Afghanistan, they're worried about being abandoned to a bunch of crazy Taliban. Some places in Africa are worried about pestilence or starvation. Total lack of water and drought. The disciples asked Jesus one day, what will happen before you come? Jesus had told them, I will destroy the temple and rebuild it in 10 days. He said, not one rock will be left on top of one another of this temple that you're looking at. And they were sure that was the end of time. And he said, whoa, 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 what will, what will happen? How will we know? Angel, the world's going to be a mess. There's going to be wars and there's going to be famines. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be all kinds of trouble. We've got two years going on this weird global pan epidemic thing. Split the church right down the middle, mask or no mask. Seriously. You know, you can believe anything you want, but you got to wear a mask or you don't have to wear a mask. So we're going to fight over that. You can have the craziest theology in the world, but if you have the mask, you're good. If you don't have the mask, you're good, depending on which side you happen to be sitting on. And man, can you imagine? Can you imagine what heaven's like today? He said there would be stuff like this. There would be horrible wars around the world. The place is going to be a mess. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. I don't know if we're marking the end. Every generation believes they're marking the end. Seems like it. But I do know that there's still only one door. I do know that through that door is a better life. Whether that life becomes eternity while you're still alive, or whether you go on the layaway plan and get picked up by Jesus later, the life following him is still a better life. There is more joy. Your family will like you better. There is in every way more hope. There are more blessings. And there is, down that path, the hope of eternity. It's the only path. If you and I decide, if you haven't decided, Please decide. One way off this rock is Jesus. He gave his life to prove it to you, to pay for the ticket, to give you the opportunity so that you could choose. It's going to change your life. It'll change your lifestyle. It'll affect things that you're doing. Some things you like doing, you might stop doing. He'll walk with you through that too.
If you haven't decided today, if you're kind of in on this and you're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, I'm in on this, but if you haven't decided again today to join him in what he's doing, particularly what he's doing with you, he's trying to make you a better representative of him, less cranky, less mean, less sinful, less attitude, less offendable, more like Jesus. So that when the people in your neighborhood see you walk down the street, they get a glimpse of what Jesus is like. Decide again today. Or decide today for the first time. But decide. It's a huge boat. Massive boat. 500 feet long. Six stories high. Massive thing. One door. All the animals got through the door. Big ones, little ones, they all got through. Too dumb to know the difference? Too smart to stay in the dark. We had that choice today. I hope we'd all get on board. There's plenty of room. We do have the choice today. One way off this planet, which will one day be destroyed. And that's Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, it's, it's a reminder we need once in a while. It's a reminder I need once in a while. That the measure of truth is Jesus. The opportunity for eternal life is Jesus. And the only way, the only way of salvation is Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for going to the cross, paying the wages of sin that we could not afford because they would cost us our very lives. For inviting us to take your sacrifice in place of ours and to step through the door of salvation. Thank you that you have left us an open door that no one can shut. Help us to have the courage to step through. In Jesus' name I pray.